Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible and it's not too wet from walking in the rain, take it out and open to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And if you would stand with me as I read, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord for you this morning. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread um, to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray together. Fathers, we have gathered this morning and heard now from your word. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us Once again, how your banner over us is love, kindness, mercy. Lord, that you would stir in our hearts this morning the remembrance of that loving kindness that you displayed to the world and the sending of your son, Jesus. 
Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning, our minds, all that we are. We submit ourselves to you and your work. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. I'm glad you made it in this morning. It's uh, been a good week. It's been a challenging week for some of our families and um, heading out to school every day or, well, three times this week, but uh, keep them in your prayers. Several of us were also able to attend a conference yesterday at, uh, in Fort Worth, put on by our state convention, and uh, that was a worthwhile uh, quick trip north and back, especially because, man, it's hot up there, y'all. I am so grateful to live on the Texas coast. Can I get an amen? amen. That's what I thought you'd say. We turn our attention now to David's life. One more story in David's life. And just to look back for a moment into chapter 7 to see now that David is in complete control of Israel. Saul is no longer in the picture. There's no more threat to his throne. Um, he is in complete control and God is blessing uh, his reign, especially early on. If we look back into chapter 7, that's where God makes this covenant with David that uh, his throne will be an everlasting throne. And he'll always have someone on it now that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, of course. But when God is done with his statement of his covenant, his promise to David, you begin to see David's heart um, and, and how he relates to the Lord. In verse 18, the, uh, King David begins to, he, he sat before the Lord, which is exactly opposite of what Saul would do. But he sat before the Lord and he, he has this conversation with God. He's heard from the Lord and here's what he says. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far. And yet it was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Verse 21, chapter 7. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, for there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. In verse 28, and now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. What I want you to pick up there quickly is that David's humility and his gratitude is so evident in how he responds to God's loving kindness. That should be something that we find in our life. When we sing that song of praise, that's the reason. Because we have received the loving kindness of God, the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And we find that in David's life. Then we hit chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a series of struggles but victories for David over the Philistines. At the end of chapter 8, around verse 15, we read this verse. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. And then we hit chapter 9. This is where David is really the king of kindness. The king of kindness. The question that, he op uh, that we open with in verse 1 is, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul? Is there anyone... Is there anyone? It's a, it's a question of great importance, and it's a concern for David. So important that the narrator gives us that question twice. 
Usually in the Hebrew, if it's repeated or if a statement is repeated, it's there for emphasis. So we can take this that it's super vital, important that David gets this answer. David had already whipped the Philistines, and now he's beginning to wonder and think, is there anyone out there that I can show kindness to? But not just anyone, specifically from the house of Saul. Someone from Saul's family. You'll remember that David made a promise to his friend Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son, King Saul. And Jonathan and his dad would, 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 would want the family to continue uh, instead of being wiped out when, King, when David came to the throne. And so for David, he is acting and keeping his promise, keeping his covenant with Jonathan, and he's doing it for Jonathan's sake. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, you'll find um, there, around uh, about verse uh, 14, 15, that Jonathan said to, to David, hey, if I survive all of this, um, watch over my family. But if I don't come out of it alive, I need you to watch over my family. In fact, he says in verse 15, do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That's the covenant that David made and that Jonathan made together. Now, we get to chapter 9. It could very well be, if you don't pick up on that, back from 1 Samuel, that you would think David is looking for anyone left, any threats left to the throne. Anyone that could challenge his right to reign as king over Israel. It's customary. It was customary back then, still is today to some extent, that when there is a perceived threat to the throne, you take them out, right? Or maybe you send, mm, should I go there? Yeah, maybe you send the FBI after him. I don't know. But especially when the throne moves to a new family, right, they take out anybody. Any potential challengers are removed, not just from, the, they're removed from life. But that's not David's intent. The threats are gone. David is focused. He's reigning. God is blessing. He knows he's got the blessing of God. He's got the promise of God here that his throne, that line is going to stay forever fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's David's intent to keep his promise to Jonathan. Now, some people would have said, oh, Jonathan's dead. Whew, I'm released from that obligation. I don't have to take that responsibility. But not David. The reason he is looking is to show kindness. But again, in verse 3, the narrator tells us this time to show the kindness of God to him. There's kindness, and then they're showing someone the kindness of God, the loving kindness, the kindness of God. David knew that kindness all too well as you go back and look at chapter 7, what I read just a few moments ago. He is expressing his, his worship and his gratitude for the kindness of God. He remembers he was just a little shepherd boy out there tending the sheep. He got summons to the house. Unbeknownst to him, God was looking at him to be the next king. He walks in. God says, Samuel, that's the one. That's my man right there. He's just a little shepherd boy. A couple of, time, a couple of months later, he's taken out Goliath. And then all of a sudden, he's getting anointed as the next king of Israel. I mean, David is aware of the kindness and the mercy and the grace of God. The kindness of God is expressed in the Hebrew by the word hesed. Don't take me 
for my uh, quoting Hebrew. I passed Hebrew, um, but I am no scholar. But here's what I know about that word. It's hard to find an exact meaning for that word. Scholars, dictionaries find it difficult. They all say this is a hard word to express in English. There's not a a great big word for it because it has such a big meaning. That's how big the the kindness of God is. A decent understanding would be one that I found this week. It just simply reads, the mercy and favor of God to undeserving people. The mercy and favor of God to undeserving people. Even that could be just a bit narrow, but we see it played out in David's life. And now he's going to pay it forward. So David calls for Ziba. One of Saul's servants who remained, who survived, and he summons Ziba and he asks him this question, is there anyone left, are you aware of anyone left in Saul's family? And Ziba offers up a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Eat some peanut butter this afternoon, say that five times and you'll have a good time, okay? I promise, guarantee, Mephibosheth. But even before we learn his name later in the chapter, We learn of his condition. Did you catch that? He's crippled in his feet. We don't know his name until after we find out where his condition is. By no fault of his own, he's crippled in both feet. When he was five years old, he was dropped when running, or he fell when he was running away from an attack, uh, and his caretaker uh, uh, fled, and he followed, and somehow his feet were broken or crippled in that. And of course, you know, at that time, there was not the medicine we have today to fix that. So now he's crippled. He's dependent on someone else to help him. This is Mephibosheth. Now David could have changed his mind. He could have seen this or heard this, heard Ziba say, but he's crippled in his feet. And it's like, oh, yeah, never mind. But he continues to ask the questions. Where is he located? And he summons Mephibosheth to his his location, to the temple, or not to the temple, to to, to his throne room. And so what we find there is starting in verse 5, Ziba is sent out, verse 5, Mephibosheth comes, and this is the beginning of the rescuing and restoring of Mephibosheth. So as David set out to keep his promise, Mephibosheth appears before David, and here's how it goes down in verse 7. David said to him, do not fear, I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Before before verse 7, verse 6, I skipped that part, I shouldn't have. He sees Mephibosheth and he calls out, Mephibosheth, and look at his response. He says, behold, I am your servant. David says, listen, stand at ease. Do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land, uh, all the land of, your, of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. There's, there's four things that David offered to Mephibosheth here. One, he says, do not fear. What is he offering? He's offering peace that there would be peace between David's house and the house of Saul. That's what David was after. Saul wouldn't let it go. He kept trying to kill David. There was no peace there. Now, do not fear. Let there be peace. I will show you kindness. This is the loving kindness, the kindness of God uh, in this moment. Mercy and grace is extended to him. Not only that, he says, you will eat at my table, the table of fellowship together, where he will be like a son, which again is grace that carries with it that new testament theme of adoption as we are all in christ adopted into the family of god but this doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense in this day and time 
For David to take this action, it, it just doesn't jive with what is going on in the culture. Because when you're a king or a queen, for that matter, you want people surrounding you who are strong. You want people surrounding you who are smart, wise, you at the top of their class. There needs to be zero display of weakness. There needs to be no perceived weakness. But everything about Mephibosheth's life portrays weakness. In fact, for David to even welcome in a member of the former king's family into his circle shows weakness on David's part, at least to the cultures around them. Not only that, but Mephibosheth himself physically crippled. In this day and time, people would have, would have had that, that thought, just as they did in Jesus' day, what did this kid do? What kind of sin did he commit? Or why is he cursed by God to be like that? Why would David take such a risk? Well, I'll point you back to the promise. You have to remember the promise. The covenant that he made. Perhaps Mephibosheth would have anticipated coming before the king and being put to death as the last surviving member of the house of Saul. But what he gets in return is anything but death. Rather, he gets life. He gets his life back if he had ever had one at this moment. No one today really knows where this town is. The house of Mekir, uh, son of Amiel, uh, Amiel and Lodabar. No, nobody's ever really been able to pinpoint exactly where that was. It shows up in scripture and it just doesn't have much of a, uh, of a you know, it's like Bethlehem. We know where that is. Or Jerusalem, we know. This little place, this guy, Mephibosheth, he's hanging out in somebody we don't know much about in a, a no-name town. Um, Mephibosheth is brought in as a nobody but because of the kindness of David is now a somebody I love that truth what David is doing here is essentially saying Mephibosheth what you're going to be able to enjoy and what you're going to be able to do now has nothing to do with you the fact that David has extended this kindness to welcome him in as a son, to sit at the king's table, to have all of his servants back in place, to have all the land restored to him, had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It had nothing to do with feeling sorry for him because he was crippled in his feet. It was because of the promise that David had made. The promise from David to Jonathan was behind that offer of rescue and restoration. We'll look at verse 9. The king called Ziba. Saul's servant, and he said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all to his house I've given to your master's grandson. Not only that, there's a seat at the table. All of the land restored to Mephibosheth, all of the produce. Oh, by the way, Ziba, you and your boys and your servants, y'all are going to go work that land. All of that belongs now to Mephibosheth, and he will have a seat at my table. Man, no broken bones here, but, but fullness. It's almost like the story of Naomi again, leaving in fullness, hitting empty, returning in emptiness and bitterness and being restored to fullness by the end. Same situation with Mephibosheth. He's on empty. Ain't nobody going to look out for him. Ziba is not even close, and Ziba should have been right there with him as a servant of Saul, his grandfather, but he's not. Mephibosheth is on his own, but yet here we find that not only is Mephibosheth restored the land, the produce, the seat at the king's table, he has a son 
named Micah, which is also a fulfillment of yet another promise that the family line would continue. The reaction to all of this is really interesting. Verse 8, you see Mephibosheth's reaction. Listen to his humility and his brokenness. What is your servant that you should show, show regard for a dead dog such as me? You know how someone would respond to that today, don't you? Especially in the church. Well, finally, someone in that palace recognized how special I am and how important I am. It's about time I get some recognition. Mephibosheth sees himself as a dead dog. The lowest he could get. He came before his king not saying, look how special I am. But look how low I am. He, would have, he couldn't have walked up to David. His feet were crippled. Someone either placed him there or he crawled. I mean, you think about how low this young man is. You know, like, sometimes we're thinking, you know, God likes nice people and only wants really nice people around him. Friends, when we read John's letter to the church, he reminds us, see what love the Father has lavished upon us that we, the dead dogs, should be called the sons and daughters of God. This is one of the clearest moments in the Old Testament that point us forward to the King of Kings and how he will die so that you and I have an invite to dine at the king's table. This is one of the best pictures we have of the kindness of God that is absolutely perfected in the God-man Jesus Christ. How so? I'm glad you asked. Let me point you to the king who was sent for you. The king who sent for you and who sins for you still today. The king that was sent for you is named Jesus. It was told to his parents early on that his name would be Jesus, not Joseph or someone else in the family, but Jesus, because he would save his people from their sins. And during his ministry, Jesus sat with sinners, not endorsing their behavior, pouring out his loving kindness on those who did not deserve it. That king encountered while traveling through a territory known as Samaria, a, a young woman. We only know her as the Samaritan woman. He asked her for a drink and she mildly rebuked him and questioned him. You a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman in my home court for water? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Who do you think you are? But then he offered her a drink of living water, and her life was changed forever. Another time, Jesus went to the home of Levi, the tax collector. Ooh, you know, they still get a bad rap today, don't they? 
But he went to the home of Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, and he dined with him. And several were watching from a distance and questioned his reasons and motives for eating with sinners. His reply was captured in Matthew's gospel, chapter 9. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The king was sent And so many think we have to clean up before we respond to his calling. That's what religion will teach you. Every world religion will say you must follow this strict line. You must follow this behavior. You must follow along this teaching, whatever it is, the Book of Mormon, uh, the Quran, or whatever holy book you want to call it. They will all point you and say it is all by works. You've got to keep yourself clean and clean yourself up so that when you die, you can make it to the other side because of your goodness. Or if you don't want to be a housefly, you know, do good and reincarnate into something else. I, I don't know. They're all the same. They may say different things, but they're all exactly the same. It is only the word of God that shows us the true way, the right way, God's way is by grace and mercy. Jesus did that cleaning up at the cross. He did your dirty work and mine too. There's another time the king went with Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus, a wee little fellow? Come on, you know you want to sing it. Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the, y'all are doing so good. I told Andy earlier, I said, we got some praise team members here, potential choir folk singing in the song this morning. That's good. Mm. But at the end of that episode, With Zacchaeus, Jesus stated that simple truth. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was found. His life changed because of the kindness and the grace of God. What we need to remember this morning is that we are Mephibosheth. We are that lame beggar. We are that dead dog. We don't understand why the king would lavish this kindness upon us that we do not deserve. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, but while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. That day, kindness, the kindness of God came knocking on that door of the house of Maker in Lodabar. Not looking for who's who, but looking for who's not. And there was a life changed forever. The completed work of Christ Jesus at the cross and his death and the resurrection on your behalf is the actual act of loving kindness that now brings restoration, rescue, Redemption, regeneration, and renewal. 
Listen to what Paul wrote to uh, Pastor Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow, if there was ever a passage of scripture, a couple of verses that described our day or just one verse that described our day. There's nothing new under the sun. We are human, we are sinners, and we are crippled by our sin. Paul continues, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not because of who we are. It's because of his goodness and loving kindness that we have a seat at the king's table. So we come to the Lord Jesus this morning. And as I was going through this, that old song, y'all, I'm such a Southern Baptist at times. And I step back in that old traditional church sometimes and those old songs when we had the altar call come up in my heart, just as I am, poor, wretched, blind. I'm a Mephibosheth. Sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all in you I find. I come, Lord Jesus, I come. Would you make that your prayer this morning? In fact, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We did, did this in the first service. I want to do it again. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. Oh, don't be. Oh, no, no, no. Come on. Get off the, the spiritual milk. Let's take some meat. I'm going to ask you to pray and use the words of David from chapter 7. When David said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Here's why. Because what David knew and what he had experienced with the loving kindness of God on his life, he began to live out to others. And if you come every Sunday and all you're getting is just knowledge and you're not applying that into your life, and taking steps of faith, the next step, the next step. You're going to be really smart when you get to the pearly gates. But what, what, what else? God's got so much for you as we walk in obedience. So we're going to pray this. And here's what I want you to pray. Okay? You're going to start by saying, who is? And then you're going to put your name in there. Who is Chris? that you have brought me this far.